So we finished Joshua and uh, now we're kind of over the summer because people are away and go on holiday and that kind of thing. Um, we are going on to look at heroic faith and if you've been at RK for a bit you'll know that the last couple of summers, maybe every summer actually, certainly the last couple of summers that's what we've done, taken different characters from the Bible um, who demonstrate heroic faith and um, there's lots to choose from. There's lots of great men and women in the Bible who have got amazing stories um, that I could speak on and there are other people who are going to speak on them as we go. Um, and uh, the person that I'm speaking on this morning appears actually in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11 you find like this hall of fame if you like of like here are some of the real heroes of faith. You've got people like Rahab uh, who of course was in the story of Joshua, uh, Noah off of Noah's Ark fame, uh, Abraham, so the kind of patriarch, if you like, of uh, one of the patriarchs of the faith. David is listed there, King David. And in amongst that is a fella called Enoch. In amongst this list of like amazing stories of amazing people is a bloke called Enoch, who doesn't really have much of a story, which is why you might not have heard of him. Um, but this is what it says about Enoch. In Hebrews 11.5, says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. That's pretty cool. And he was not found. He wasn't playing hide and seek. God took him. Because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So in Hebrews, all it says about Enoch is there was a bloke called Enoch who didn't die. God took him home. Because he lived a life that pleased God. That, that, that's all we've got. That's pretty cool, right? You know, Noah, you'd have the story of Noah did this, Noah built an ark, there was a rainbow, there was the animals, there was a flood. Enoch, um, he just didn't die. And um, there isn't much of a story. The, the reference to him is from Genesis chapter 5. So if you have got a Bible, that's where we'll be. Um, that's the reference to a guy called Enoch. And the context is, the world is pretty messy. So much like today, if you like. Broken, messed up. You look at the news, you see it all. The world wasn't too dissimilar back then. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, or so just a chapter later after this, you read, you read that God says, God grieved over mankind. Like He was so grieved over what man was doing. Hence, we had the flood. And um, so Enoch is around at a time where it's just not a great place to be. Life is difficult. Um, life is a bit horrible. There's lots of messiness. And um, Genesis chapter 5 is one of those chapters in the Bible that a lot of people, myself included, have the temptation of skim reading. Because um, it's one of those where you've got a list of names, which is everybody's favorite. Uh, everybody's favorite thing. But here is from, in Genesis 5, you've got Adam's descendants. And just throwing this out there, I don't believe Adam is a metaphorical man. I believe he's real. So here we have from Adam, who I believe is a real man. I'm not going to lose sleep whether you don't or not, but from Adam through to Noah, okay? Uh, and I'm just going to read this. Genesis 5, 1 to 24. Forgive me if you find this really dull, but I find this amazing. Um, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce the names, because if you just say it with confidence, then it means you've got it right. So this is the book of the generations of Adam. Uh, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Some of you didn't get that then. Uh, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man. 
when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. That's a difficult name to say if you don't do your THs properly like me. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. 930. Wow. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Wait. Yeah, no, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70, see what happens here. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered hmm, Mahalal. That's right, I'm sure. Mahalal, yeah, that sounds better. Uh, <laughs> Mahalal, 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalal had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. I can do that one. Mahalal lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalal were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and other daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then it carries on. When Methuselah had lived for so-and-so years, he fathered Lamech, who had other sons and daughters, and he lived for so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. Do you see what happens there? There's this pattern that's established of, uh, my name is Adam. I've lived for 105 years, and then I've had a son called Seth. And then I've had other sons and daughters, obviously, uh, but... I'm just referencing the firstborn, well, not the firstborn in this case, but the firstborn in terms of the line that's being followed and tracing the descendants, which was Seth, not Cain or Abel. Um, Abel would struggle, wouldn't he? Um, but Seth, and then so on, and then all, lived for so long, and then fathered more children, all the days of life, death, next generation, and so on and so forth. Until you get to this guy called Enoch, which says, Enoch lived, 65 years, starts in the same way, had Methuselah, has other sons and daughters. But referenced in there, you'll see it changes. All of a sudden, it's very different. It's distinctly breaking the pattern. And twice, verse 21 and verse 24, it says, Enoch walked with God. None of the other people, it doesn't mean that they didn't walk with God, but for none of the other people does it reference that at all. The rest of them just follow this kind of same story, same narrative. There's no change to it whatsoever. And yet in two verses, it's almost to reinforce it twice over. It says, Enoch walked with God and then God takes him. Enoch doesn't die. How cool is that? I think that's cool. He doesn't die. God just takes him. And in that list, you've got Adam. Well, Adam didn't do too well, did he? Like, you know, the whole fall thing. Hasn't got off to a great start. You've got other people on that list like Noah. All right, he built a boat, but then he got drunk and shamed himself and shamed his family. Like, 
they're not doing too good. Yet in amongst that, there's this guy, Enoch, who the writer of the Hebrews says, pleased God. So therefore, you've got this thing going on here. To walk with God is to please God. So the New Testament understanding of walking with God is pleasing God. And the phrase walked here, used for walked, is not the same as this morning I walked to Tesco Express and back. That, that's not what the writer's trying to, it's not like, oh, and they had like a walk to the shops together. It's not limited to like a single journey, but it's trying to convey a sense of ongoing intimacy. Like if, if someone's going through something, you might say, I'll walk with you on that. I'll be there for you. I'll stand with you. We're in this together. We'll walk together on it. Enoch walked with God. That's pretty cool. That's the description of his whole life. There's no other detail given. We've not got any other story, but that he walked with God. He had a special relationship with God that pleased God. We haven't got any of the stories. And what that tells me, and there will have been stories of Enoch. I'm sure there's stories of Enoch. In fact, there's, there's other books that don't make it into the canon description that are supposedly written or about Enoch. So there are stories that are out there, but we don't know what those are necessarily. And so what that tells me is this. It's far more important for you to be known in heaven than it is on earth. Now, the way the culture drives, it's everything here and now. But it is far more important that you are known in heaven than here. We can be nobodies in the eyes of the world. It doesn't matter as long as we're known to God. We can, we, we've all made mistakes and got things wrong and, and messed up. It's okay. Let's be known to our Father in heaven. We can't impress and please everybody, but we could learn to please God. I would love for us to desire to be people that are known in heaven and feared in hell. I love that in the New Testament when like, the demons know who Paul is. Like he has a reputation in hell as someone who like, leads people into new life. How good would that be? You're known in heaven, you're feared in hell. You can be a nobody on earth, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters more is being known to God. And that means, I think that means for me and I think that means for us is pleasing God during the times when no one else sees us. Because it's easy, I think, well it's not easy, but it's easier, isn't it, to, to live in such a way that looks like I'm following God, especially in the public sphere. But what happens when you're behind closed doors and, you know, you're just with your family or you're by yourself? Are we living to please God? Are we honoring God in those moments? Because God sees it all, doesn't he? We've described, I think, during the, over the, the years here at Redeemer King of living for an audience of one. Living to please God. I think Enoch lived in such a way in a difficult culture and at a difficult time that pleased God because he was so focused on God day in, day out. And so I think one of the things for us to just think about is, are we doing that behind closed doors as well as on a Sunday? Because actually walking, the whole idea of walking and journeying isn't something you just switch on and switch off. It's, a, it's an ongoing thing. You're taking steps forward because if you stop, what happens? Well, I'm not going anywhere anymore. I'm not moving. And actually, it could go backwards, could go sideways, could go off in different directions. But if you keep momentum in your walk with God, and actually, it's what God wants for each of us. You might be here going, oh, this idea of walking with God, I've never heard of that. Well, it's God's plan for your life. God wants to walk with you. 
It's how it was meant to be. If you read Genesis chapter 3, you read that God was walking in the cool of the day, which implies to me that God walked with Adam and Eve. Because otherwise, that's really freaky. God, why are you walking in the garden today on all days? Unless he did it before. God walked with Adam and Eve. They hung out. That's cool. Right? Well, I'm excited. Like, that's what God wants, to walk with us. Other notable characters, look look at this, right? I'm going to read a couple of these. Um, Genesis 6, when the world is in corruption and God's going to flood it, it says this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That's what it says. So you've got Adam and Eve walk with God. Enoch walked with God. Noah walks with God. Abram, before he gets renamed, God says this. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. That's his instructions to Abram, walk before me. Live out your life for me, with your eyes on me, not anybody else. The challenge from God Almighty for us today is to maintain a relationship with God and to do it well. Now, walking might be a bit of a switch-off phrase for you because you might not like walking, okay? My favorite form of walking is on a golf course. It is. I will, I will walk miles if I'm playing sport. But the idea of going on a walk for the sake of going on a walk does not appeal to me. For some of you, you're thinking, you heathen. I love that. What are you talking about? And that's great. I like getting in the car. But there is something about walking. And I was thinking about this a little bit. I was thinking about this when... Uh, back in the day when me and Grace first met. We don't do this anymore, do we? Because it's hard when you've got young children. You can't just, well, maybe you can, but you shouldn't you know, lock the door and just leave, should you, and go on a walk. Don't phone child line on me, we haven't done it. But like, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. But we used to go on walks, didn't we? And, uh, and, like, and it wasn't my thing, still isn't my thing, but it wasn't about the walk, it was about the company. It was about the conversation. It was about the journey. We used to go to the same wood, didn't we? And we used to walk up a lane and like walk around woods and it was all romantic and sweet and, and we like drew in the wood and oh, those were the days. We, I used to go on walks because it was an investment into a relationship. And when you walk with someone, you get to know them, don't you? Now, if you're walking in front of someone, you're not getting to know them. But if you're walking alongside someone, you're chatting as you go, don't you? Have you ever been on like a, a walk with someone? After you've been on a walk with them, you feel like you know them better than when you started. There's something about journeying with one another and walking together. And there's something refreshing. I had this this morning, this kind of almost, I'm not going to call it an epiphany. But there's something incredibly refreshing about taking your phone or your internet access device and leaving it at home and going outside. Maybe it's just me. But I I feel like it's the Lord because I got in the car a bit earlier this morning because I can't find the printer at home. So I had to print at the office. And I can't find trousers either. Um, And um, on the radio, it was talking about internet addiction. And it was talking about we're addicted to our phones, we're addicted to stuff in our hands. You know, a date now isn't going on a walk. A date is sat opposite someone enjoying a meal whilst looking at Facebook and taking Instagram photos of your food. Like, I don't care what your food looks like. I just want to eat your food. I don't, like, 
and, and taking like a million selfies of look at me in front of this and look at, I just want to look at the thing I don't want to look at your face like and we all do it I was on my phone this morning reading the notices after screenshotting and I just felt this twinge in my soul that said we want to connect with God and God wants to walk with us but there's so many distractions that get in the way and some of it is technology now sometimes technology can be used for good I'm not having to go at phones they're brilliant like they've changed the world haven't they but sometimes, maybe we should leave our phone at home and just get out and walk with someone. I know that if I went out for a walk with Grace now and we both took our phones, we'd be on our phones the whole time. We wouldn't be conversing. We wouldn't be relating. It would be getting in the way. And so it's actually, there's a whole bunch of stuff that can get in the way of giving our time over to God. Some helpful things. like It's helpful, isn't it, technology? But sometimes it can just... Get in the way. And for Enoch, I know he didn't have the problem of social media. I know it wasn't a thing for Enoch. But there would have been things that could have got in the way. But it doesn't say Enoch walked with God and then had a break because he was hanging out with his son Methuselah and doing other things. And It doesn't say that. It just said Enoch walked with God. Enoch fathered so-and-so and then Enoch walked with God some more. And there's only two people ever who have transitioned from this world to the next, without any form of death. Because even Jesus died and then was then resurrected. And that's Enoch and Elijah. And Elijah, well, he's pretty cool. He had chariots of fire and did earthquakes. But Enoch's the other one. There's this great story. I think I may have shared this before because it's really cool. And it was said in a Sunday school class. And the kid was describing Enoch. And it said, Enoch went on a very very, very long walk with God. And by the end of the walk, they were closer to God's house than Enoch's house. So God said, come on over. It's almost as if Enoch's life, he was so pleasing God this side of heaven that it just made sense to transition it into the eternal. He was so pleasing God that they just carried on walking together. And that's the beautiful thing about faith. If you put your trust in Jesus today, you can walk with God from this day forward forever. Without a break, you don't have to switch him off. Forever. We can transition from this life to the next. So how can we walk with God? That's the question that flipped through my mind. What can I do? There's, there's some things about like, you know, focusing on God and some things I've already talked about there, like little things that are happening. But as the New Testament puts it, how can I please God? Because that's the New Testament kind of translation of walking with God is pleasing God. How can we please God in what is a self-pleasing age? I hope we agree it's a self-pleasing age, isn't it? The age of kind of self-gratification. How can we please God? How can we live in a way that's a bit like Enoch? That God would look down on us and say, Wow, my son, my daughter. Oh, I'm so pleased with them. They're walking with me. That's amazing. And this is going to seem, some of this is going to be like, oh, this is really obvious stuff. But sometimes the obvious stuff's the best stuff. Because it helps just remind us to go again and to focus in on God again. So the first one is this. On something called heroic faith, we've got to actually have faith, haven't we? Like, I know that seems really like, oh, yeah, of course we do. But we have to have faith. We have to live as if God's real. Now, that shouldn't be a problem if we're following Jesus, should it? But we have to live like it's true. Live, and the Bible is true. I was going to grab it. It's down there. It's a true book. 
So we've got to live in the light of the revelation of who God is. And the reality is, uh, the more we walk with God, the more faith we will have. Because our faith will grow. Because we will see him in the everyday. The more we switch off, or the more we stop, or the more we take sidetracks, or the more we just turn around and go the other way, our faith isn't going to grow and be built. Our faith for seeing the miraculous isn't going to grow because we're not journeying with God. We're not walking with him. It's recognizing God and then living accordingly. You know, the A plan, if you like, isn't that we keep messing up and then having to set it right again. That's not the A plan. That's not the best version of your life. The best version of your life is that you walk with God every single day. Because he wants to walk with you every single day. He doesn't want us to be keep breaking ourselves and hurting ourselves and falling down. He wants us to walk with him. He's got great things planned for us. Enoch lived in a world much like our own and somehow managed it even when the odds seemed stacked up against him. And he pleased God because he had a faithful life. So for Enoch, it probably, we don't know this, but it would have been living a life that pleases God, living a holy life, living a life that's set apart, living a life that honors God in a world that didn't honor God, that caused God to grieve. It's remarkable. And I know that these are heroes of faith. I know that you're thinking, well, that's it's all right for Enoch. What about me? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is this. It's about Peter and John. Um, and this is what it says. When they, so the crowd, the Pharisees, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Uneducated, common men, but recognized they've been with Jesus. That's faith. We don't have to have the accolades of this world, do we? We don't have to be known in Chesterfield. We don't have to be the hero of our town. But we need to be known in heaven. And we need to live in light of that. Their faith was remarkable. Peter was a fisherman. That's what he was. But his faith was remarkable. And so for us, it's having faith. It's believing and taking God at his word and living in light of it. And actually, that's really hard to do. It's not easy to do. I'm not stood here saying it's easy to do. And it's a battle to do that day in, day out. But actually, if we want to please God, if you want to live to please God, if you want to walk with God here this morning, you want to know God better today than you did yesterday, then that's what we've got to do. We've got to have faith in every circumstance we have. And this one might seem, I'm going to explain what I mean here, but we need to have our head in heaven and our feet on earth. We've got to do both. Now, some kind of realms of the church, I've met people, there's this, there's this beautiful lady, she was from Toronto, Canada, and uh, she came around for tea when I, was, when I was younger, and she was, I'm not going to do the accent, but she was just sat across the table from me, and she's like, yeah, um, uh, just, you know, every day I, I pray for 18 hours. And then, you know, I sleep for six. And then I get up the next day and I pray for 18 hours. And I'm like, what? Wow. That's amazing. And it was amazing. Like, and she was, so, you could just, like, you could see, like, the presence of God on her. Like, it was phenomenal. 
But I kind of like reflecting after eating. I mean, I don't know where she has time for eating. Maybe she prays and eats at the same time. But like, it was, it was this moment of that's so good that you're so focused on heaven. But how are you having an impact on the world around you? Now, yes, there is prayer and action, but where's the action? The opposite is, we're so like, oh, we need to be like, you know, set apart from the world, is we go into our home, we lock our windows, we lock our doors, we put our neck curtains down, and we don't let anybody in or out who isn't like us, because they might contaminate us. Have you seen our neighbor? Have you seen the person down the street? Neither of those work, do they? But I think there's a, there's a healthy balance in that our head is in the heavens, if you like, but our feet are on the earth, which means we have a heavenly perspective, which means we see the world as God sees the world. We view the world as God views the world. To have a heroic faith, to live in a way that pleases God is to have our minds set on God. But that motivates and puts our feet into action means we're useful in this world, means we have things to offer to a broken and hurting world. It means we take resurrection DNA to those that haven't got it yet. means we take the Christ of the cross to people because we're so focused on him and pleasing him that we keep our eyes up but our feet moving forward. Now, here's a, this is a bit of a kind of confession really, but I'm going to see if anybody else has done this. Has anybody ever walked into anything? I once saw, I once saw, you know those mobility scooters? You've got one, haven't you? I'm sure I'd like switched out the electrics so it was going like 40 miles an hour. And I once saw a lady crash one of those into a wall and then fall out. And she, by her own admission, she said, I wasn't looking where I was going. I've walked into lampposts. I've walked into glass doors. Whoever thought that was a good idea? I can see the other side. How am I supposed to know there's a glass there? When we're not looking where we're going, what happens? We bump into stuff. We wreck ourselves. We break our nose. We hurt ourselves. I haven't broken my nose, by the way. It's just always been like this. We just hurt ourselves when our eyes aren't looking where they should be, when we're distracted. That's what I meant about the phone thing. I've not got like, an anti-phone thing or an anti-social like, media thing. I'm on all those things. But more when we're distracted, we're not looking where we're going. And we live in an age where we're like this, don't we? we? Our eyes need to be, not physically, I don't want us walking around looking like this, oh God, are you coming back today? Because then we're just going to walk into stuff too. But spiritually, we're focused on the things that God wants us to be focused on whilst we're moving forward. And that keeps us on the narrow path this side of heaven. It's called a narrow path for a reason because it's narrow, which means it's hard to stay on because we've got to keep our eyes focused on where we're going. Heroic faith is despite the circumstance, despite things going badly, which they will. I promise you, whether you're a Christian or not, there's going to be curveballs in your life. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Having that heavenly perspective. And it motivates our feet into action of loving the poor, loving the broken, being salt and light, being kind, speaking good words over people, being encouraging. Our feet follow our eyes. They must do. We have to. Be like Christ and we walk before him before we work for him. Walking becomes before working. Sometimes we just want to, oh, I want to crack on with this. But we've got to put in the yards behind the scenes. We've got to walk with God. Our head in heaven, our feet in earth. And this, one, this one's a big one. And I think 
This one you go, well, I'm really busy, but our time. Our wealth, our stuff, they're not our most precious kind of commodity, are they? I mean, I, I think I thought they were for a long time, but it's our time. You will remember when someone spent their time helping you out, when someone gave up something for you, when someone served you, when someone gave you their time when they didn't have time to give. It's my way of kind of saying we put our relationship with God first. That's what it means to please God. Put him first. And if that means establishing a rhythm to do that, then do it. Some of you work better. I work better in routine, honestly. Uh, That's just how I am. I think that's just how I'm wired. I work better if I know, right, I'm meant to be here at this time, and then I'm doing this, and then I'm doing that. So build putting God first into that. Even when life's difficult, it's a rhythm that's been established. And we need to be people that establish rhythm so it becomes part of my DNA. You know, I had a shower this morning. I brushed my teeth. Why did I do, do those things? Did I make a conscious choice and say, you know what, I stink today and my teeth are pretty gammy, so I'm going to brush my teeth and shower. Now, those things might have been true, but that's not what went through my head. I just went to the shower and brushed my teeth because it's what I do, right? It's just what I do every morning. Because it's what I've done forever every morning. Part of our DNA needs to be putting God first. Why are we doing that? It's because it's what I do. It's how I please God. It's because it's what I do. I make the time. We make time for things that are important for us. So we have no time. I said that before running a half marathon, which since I'm not going to do again. But miraculously, I found the time to train. Because you find the time for things that are important to you. We can find the time to please God if we want to. We can make the time. I absolutely believe that. And it's critical to any relationship. How can we have a relationship with someone we don't know? We can't, can we? How do we know someone? How do we know God? Through his word. How do I know anything about who God is? Through the, through the Bible, basically. That's the only way. So how can I expect to know him if I don't spend any time with him or prayer, talking? Smith Wigglesworth said something like this. I never pray for more than 15 minutes at a time. You know, I never pray for like, I never do four hour prayers. But then he follows it on and says, but I never go more than 15 minutes without praying. You can do the maths. In other words, he's always praying. He's always talking to God. He's always communicating. And that's what it means to please God. We're like a relationship today, like a friendship today where you're, you're, you're listening and you're talking like that, but with God. That's why it's important he's alive and living, isn't it? That we're not just talking to the ceiling, even though sometimes you might feel like it. But we're talking to a God who is alive and real. And actually, you know, I'm not having a go at this because it's important, but the don't let your prayer life be summarized by rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Because what kind of a relationship is that? If I had a relationship with someone and my whole relationship was based on thanks for the food, what kind of a relationship is that? It's an all right place to start, don't get me wrong, but don't limit it to that. (laughs) Maybe don't even limit it to thank you God for today, amen, at the end of the day. But actually, all through the day at different points, think how can I involve God in this? How can I invite God into my world? 
How can I relate to him in the everyday in what I'm doing right now? And as a part of that, be raw, be honest, just as you would do in your relationships. When you, you, your emotion, and you, when you're down, you share that you're down. When you're upset, when you're full of joy, you share that you're full of joy. You, our relationship, our communication with God needs to be raw, needs to be honest, needs to be real. One of the most uh, kind of profound moments of prayer I've ever had was when I was on the beach at Living St. Anne's screaming my head off. I mean, nobody could hear me because it was the middle of the night, so that's okay, isn't it? But like screaming my head off because I was upset, because I was angry, because I was disappointed. And yet this overwhelming sense of peace that I felt in the wake of that, this overwhelming sense of I know God's heard my cry. Didn't mean he like ticked the box and made it right, but I know he'd heard me. I knew he was there. I knew he walked with me. So actually, it's in all of our circumstance, drawing close to God. And perhaps that could be for the first time today. That you might go, well, I've heard of this God, but I don't know. we can draw close to God today by inviting him into our life. And God wants to walk with us. You're not going to invite him in and he's going to go, nah, I'll see you later, not bothered. He wants to walk with you. Maybe you've drifted off the path a little bit. Maybe you've taken a few sidesteps and you're not where you need to be. Well, God says today, well, come back to me. We'll walk together again. It's open to all of us today. And this is the final one I'm I'm just going to look at. I did have a couple of others, but time's kind of moving on. I mean, within that communication one, repentance is like the key word there. Keeping short accounts with God. So like, I might say, oh, you know, to repent. Well, like most of my prayers are probably me kind of repenting and getting right with God because I've drifted or I've made some mistake or I've said something or done something. It's, it's keeping short accounts with God just as you keep short accounts with those that you love. Keeping constant communication with him means that we please him. And this is the fourth thing, and this is critical. You want to live a life that pleases God, you've got to be like Jesus because he is the epitome of what pleases the Father. He is what pleases the Father, the Son. So you want to please God, you've got to be like Jesus, which means live a life like Jesus. Now, Jesus was the holy. He was so holy, wasn't he? He was perfect. Now, perfection is beyond us, but we can, we can like strive for it, can't we? To live holy lives that please God. This is what it says in John 8. Jesus speaking, and he who sent me, speaking of his Father, is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus and his always do the things that are pleasing to his Father in heaven. That's what his whole ministry, that's what his whole life was about, doing things that please God. Jesus knew how to please God, and his life reflected that. And it was about bringing glory. It was about drawing attention to God. And it was so that you and I could join God's family. So how then do we be like Jesus? Well... We draw attention to our Father in heaven. Not only with our words, but with our actions. We live in such a way that shines heaven's light into the darkness of this world. That, that's the mission. That's what we've got to be about. That pleases God. Honestly, that pleases God. That gets God's attention. That we're shining lights into the darkness. Living to please him, not living to please ourselves. God's mission is he wants every man, woman, child to be part of his family. And he chooses to use us to facilitate that happening in the sharing of the good news of Jesus. And we do that verbally, but we also do that by 
being more like Christ by being full of love and peace and joy and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. By being full of all those things. Enoch so pleased God, God just one day took him home. He so pleased God, he just took him home. We're all going to die. So the question for us is, what are we living for? Can we live in such a way that will please God, that makes a difference eternally? And my challenge to us all, if, if that's the case, if you want to know what life is really about, if you want to maximize this life, if you want fulfillment, if you want peace, if you want to know the God who created you, then today is the moment to start walking with God. If maybe you've made that commitment in the past, but you know you've drifted a little bit, today is the moment to say, I'm going to walk with God again. I'm not going to walk 20 paces behind. I'm not going to walk 20 paces up to the left. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to commit to walking with him because I want to please him. And that could be for the very first time today, but I promise you this. If you put your trust in Jesus today, if you repent, if, which means to turn around. So to walk with God's going this way, we're going this way. Repent means to turn around, to, to follow and walk with God again. If you do that, it is the best decision you will ever make in your life. Hands down, the best decision. I'm a Liverpool supporter. It's the best decision you'll ever make. We make loads of decisions. Oh, I'll do this. I'll get married. I'll have children. I'll work here. I'll do this. I'll live there. Best decision you'll ever make is choosing to follow Jesus Christ. And then walking with him day in, day out. Some of us need to get back to that place of walking with him. Perhaps today, this is my invitation to you, to walk with him for the very first time. And that is there for you, that God wants to walk with you. And you know what? You start walking with him. This is beautiful, right? You start walking with Jesus today, you'll walk with him forever. By faith, Enoch was taken up that he wouldn't see death. And he wasn't found because God had taken him. Before he was taken, Enoch was commended as having pleased God. I want to live a life like Enoch's. Don't know about you.